I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to season six. Welcome to season six. We hope you enjoyed Jonelle Matthews. Yep, yep. We are back doing our normal thing. Mm-hmm. That was uncomfortable for yes. me. <laughs> for me too. I didn't like it. Not really. I like a good giggle between every word I say. I think so. It's healthy. <laughs> it's a healthy thing to it's so laugh obnoxious, at yourself. But... but like whatever. Whatever. So, okay. I requested this episode from Claire and I'm so mm-hmm. excited to hear it because it's like a case that everyone knows, but like mm-hmm. ev- at the same time, everyone doesn't know. Exactly. It's one of those names that you like claim, you know, you know. stuff about. But it's like, do you know? But you don't. Yeah. And it's one of those cases that other podcasters <laughs> don't really do very often because, again, the name is very notorious. Yeah. And there's just, I feel like there's like this assumption that everyone knows about it, but I honestly yeah. can tell you like four things about this case. Yeah. And <laughs> that was same with me too, because I thought I knew it pretty well-ish. Yeah. But now I'm like... Like, I knew nothing. Right. <laughs> so I'm very excited to talk about yes. this case. And we already kind of told you the exciting news mm-hmm. in the Golden State Killer episode about yes. this case, which yep. is kind of what spurred it on to like, yeah, do yeah. it. So we thought we'd bring that into it since DNA is our favorite DNA. thing in the entire world. I think it's been our favorite since the beginning. It's really cool. So yeah. So with that, we'll just kind of dive in. You ready? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> we'll tell them what you're doing. Okay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about the notorious serial killer, Jack the Ripper. Woohoo! Jack Jack the the Ripper. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So, yeah, so we're just going to talk about him and talk about everything that happened. Um, If you think you know, you don't really know. So here we are. We're going to tell you (laughs) so that you can know what we know, what I know anyway. You don't know. <laughs> Confusing. I'm myself. ready to know. Okay, let's 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 go. Okay. <laughs> so, Mary Jane Kelly, if that's her real name, <laughs> I'm trying to be dramatic. It's a dramatic time. Okay, <laughs> was 25 years old and lived in the East End in England. She'd been married to a man named Davis, who actually died in an, ex- in an explosion in a mine, which happened often, which is sad. <laughs> Workers reforms were not a thing yet. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> okay. So after That's a very negative start. <laughs> I know. So there's a woman, her husband died, and she moved to Cardiff. Bummer. I know. So it was in Cardiff that Mary became a sex worker. So I wanted to talk a little bit about why we're using the word sex worker instead of prostitute. Obviously, this case has to do a lot with prostitution. But because we're living in 2019, we've decided, and I talked to Randy about this because she's so much more informed about it than I am, we both decided that we were going to use the word sex worker instead. So I know Randy is pretty well-versed, so I wanted to hand it over to you to kind of explain why we're going to do that because it's important. Okay, so sex workers are basically kind of leading this movement right now where they are requesting that people stop using the word prostitute because it carries a really negative connotation. And I mean, just historically, all the exploitation, all of the horrible ways in which sex workers were treated in the past, that's just what you think of when you say the word. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really legitimize the actual work that sex workers do today that is not as dramatized as we think it is. And there's definitely still a very big existence of exploitation in the industry. But 
tons of women and men actually make a living doing sex work and it's fine. And by adding the word work into it too, I think that that kind of legitimizes it as a profession yes. as opposed yeah. to just this like saucy thing that you yeah, know you're people so right. go yeah. do it's for a little fun. bit more of a serious term for it. Yeah. yeah. And like there is a little bit of a pushback from certain groups of people in sex work that are saying like, well, it is a bad thing. It is a negative thing. We are being exploited. And people who have like negative experiences with it are saying like, no, use the word prostitution. That is what it is. Like that explains how bad it is. But other people are saying no. And I think that there's like maybe a bigger group of people saying that sex work is a more respectable term. And they're actually like lobbying for the word sex work to be in AP style, um, Associated Press style, which is the style book that journalists use. So Mm -hmm. it's like pretty serious. And so I just think that if a group of people is requesting that you use different language to refer to them, that it's just rude not to. And that can go for like using proper pronouns when you're talking about people to using like saying women if it's a not a child, don't call yeah. them a girl, yeah. um, et cetera. There's a lot of things that we could talk about in terms of linguistics and language and how powerful even like a small slip up, like calling a woman a girl over time can make a really big impact. Mm-hmm. And I was actually reading an article a while ago that from an organization that I don't know the name of, but they were <laughs> saying like, if we get sex work to be the title in AP style, then over time we will erase the word prostitute essentially because all the news articles will say sex worker, et cetera. And like, it will kind of have this paradigm shift over time, which is, you know, kind of the goal in all cases where people want to change the use of a word. And I don't know, I just think it's respectful. And um, obviously we're not the first people to like you know, like have this revelation or anything. Of course like, not, no. My Favorite Murder famously had like an episode where they talked about this too. And it just comes up a lot in true crime. But that really goes for basically everything. Just be mm-hmm. respectful. Use language that's positive and that people who you're describing want you to use that language. Absolutely. And if anyone makes fun of you for being over, overly politically correct, just don't be their Screw friend. Them. Because yeah. it, being it politically correct is just being... A respectful person. person. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I am glad that we got to talk about that a little bit because, like I had mentioned before, the word prostitute is used quite often when talking about Jack the Ripper. It's the historical term. Yes, and it's the historical term. So just as a quick tidbit about this podcast. (laughs) Okay, anyway. So back to Mary Kelly. She became a sex worker when she moved to Cardiff to live with one of her family members. Um, Apparently, she was really successful in her profession because in 1884, she would move to London and would work in a high-end brothel in London. So it was there that she met a Frenchman and for a brief period of time moved with him to France. She would come back to England and tell everyone that she just disliked France and didn't want to be there anymore. So... She moved back home, but she adopted a French name called um, Marie Jeanette. So that was what she would call herself. That was her official name. But I'm going to call her Mary Kelly because in most of the instances when I was doing research about this, everyone just associates her as Mary Kelly and not Marie Jeanette. So that's what I'll be calling her. So after her trip, 
back from France. She moved to the East End in 1886, which is a pretty backwater place of London. And she moved to a segment of East End called Whitechapel. So it's kind of like this little hamlet of London. Um, So it's all London, but Whitechapel is a segment of it. Have you been there? Um, I actually haven't been to Whitechapel, but I have been to London. And um, I was going to say... London now and London then are very different places. So we're going to talk a little bit about the historical aspects of that because it's kind of important to get into the mindset when you're talking about Jack the Ripper because the whole twisty streets and dark alleyways is like a big part of it too. So we'll talk about all of the historical stuff as well. Basically, just all cobblestone (laughs) and brick buildings. Okay, so she's back in Whitechapel. And again, like I said, pretty backwater part of uh, London. Not a lot of people liked it there, but a lot of people lived there. So she lived with a man named Joseph Barnett for a brief period of time, but in 1887, about a week before Mary Kelly was to be murdered, they had a fight and he left. So um, her history is not well known, um, mostly because a lot of people think she was lying about her history. So even her move to France, even her name, even the fact that she had a husband who died in a mine, those all could be fabricated pieces of information. We just don't know because, again, this was at a time when women working in a profession like sex work, they were not respected and you kind of had to garner respect for yourself and give yourself a respectful background. And if you did that, your fall from grace was a little bit more graceful. Right. So we don't know if any of this is accurate yeah. about her life, but what from what Joseph Barnett would say, this is kind of the story we have about her. So she was reportedly a very attractive woman and one of the more attractive sex workers that was working in Whitechapel, and everyone really seemed to like her. And on November 8th, 1888, uh, Joseph Barnett and a friend of Mary Kelly's visited her at 7 or 8 p.m. And they left a little early-ish. I'm not sure the exact time. But Barnett said that he fell asleep that night around 1230 in the morning. So Mary Kelly's neighbor saw her with a client for a bit. And her friends, um, after her friends had left... And they were both apparently drunk and singing. Um, clearly, the client didn't pay Kelly very well because at 2 a.m. after they had, um, you know, had an exchange of goods, <laughs> goods and services, um, she... They did it. They did it. She's a sex worker. <laughs> um, so at 2 a.m., her friend George Hutchinson spoke with her and she was asking him for money. So... Maybe he didn't, the client didn't pay her. Maybe she needed a little bit more cash than what he gave her. I don't know. Hutchinson would say that she was still pretty drunk and he told her to go away. Um, so she started to walk off. And as she did, he said that he saw her talking to a man. And this is slightly racist, but we'll start to talk about how racist stuff was back then as well. Um, but he said, I saw her with a man who was who looked like a Jewish man. Um, so we have a lot of eyewitness testimonies for all of the cases of Jack the Ripper victims, and most of them would be the stereotypical Jewish-looking man. Um, so I'm going to describe these stereotypes, but they're stereotypes. So there you go. Um, so 
a Jewish looking man at this point would have probably meant a shorter guy with dark hair, a mustache, uh, most likely pretty prominent features on his face and probably wearing like middle class style clothing. So nothing super fancy, but also nothing too poor looking. So he probably had a big overcoat, probably had a bowler hat or something like that. Um, So that would pretty much be the average description of Jack the Ripper. Uh, It's, you know, speculated that a lot of the suspects on the list are there because they look like the descriptions, but I don't know. It varies every once in a while. So anyway, George left around 245, but he saw the pair going into Mary Kelly's apartment. And you're going to be mad at her because she had an apartment on the first floor. Nope. (laughs) Don't do that. Um, At Miller's Court on 26 Dorset Street, which is really a really tight little squeeze of a street. Like I said, windy, twisty streets all over Whitechapel. So it was a one room. There was a table in the corner and then her bed and then a nightstand and a few other miscellaneous items around. Um, That same night, her window was broken. So there was a little bit of cloth over it, but you could kind of you could see into the room. Um, So, yeah, that's sort of the description of what's happening at Mary Kelly's house. So nobody sees her after 2.45 when she goes into her house with a perceived client. In the morning, her landlord knocked on the door to collect rent, which Mary had been behind on by six weeks, which is a lot. (laughs) Um, So he didn't get an answer, though, and he knew that she would be in there. So at 10.45, he kind of, like, peered through the broken window. And uh, what he found, well... I would be scarred for life. (laughs) I wouldn't go outside ever. I would just like, I would hide forever. Uh (laughs) Um, So what he saw inside was the mangled body of Mary Kelly. She was, yeah. And there is a picture of this crime scene. (gasps) Can I see it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you want to. I just said it was gross, Um, but. Yeah, no. Did you look at it? Oh, yeah. Did it scar you? It's pretty disgusting. It's pretty bad. Is it? grosser than Black Dahlia? Yes. Okay, I don't want to see it. Never mind. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Um, So it's actually a very famous crime scene photograph, and if you, like, Google Jack the Ripper victims, it will be the first one that you see. It's really gross. It's obviously in black and white, but it's pretty obvious what it is. Um, So her body had been completely flayed open, and some of her organs had been placed on the nightstand next to her bed. Um, Yeah, it's pretty gross. Um, So in that picture, you can see that whoever did this to her did it with such anger and ferocity because her entire, okay, so her entire face is like gone. You can't tell that it's a real human face. Um, And then her entire left leg bone, I think it's left. I think it's her left leg bone. Okay, okay. she's laying it. No, it's her right leg bone. (laughs) Her entire right leg bone is completely exposed and you can see it. Gross. Yeah. So it wouldn't take officers long to realize that the brutal murder had been the work of one of the most notorious British serial killers. But what they didn't know is that ultimately (laughs) she would be his final victim. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Okay. So that's the last one. So that's the end. We're going. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. 
<laughs> no, just kidding. Okay, so before we really dive into the other murders that happened, we're going to talk more about Whitechapel and okay. about England. Okay, um, so as a history buff, I just wanted to know as a non-history buff mm-hmm. that you are, do you know the phrase, the sun never sets on the British Empire? Nope. Okay, cool. Okay. So this phrase was coined to showcase the empirical power of Britain during the reign of Queen Victoria in the 1800s. Um, She would, until Elizabeth II started to reign, the current queen, she would be the longest reigning monarch in Britain. And she would control the largest kingdom spanning all the way from Europe to Asia to the Pacific. So literally, the sun would never set. On the British Empire. So that just means everybody's awake at one point in the British Empire. (laughs) Um, So that's where that came from. And it's really important to know that because the United Kingdom was the greatest and the most powerful nation in the world at this point. Um, The U.S. had just come out of the Civil War in 1876, and they were currently going into a period known as Reconstruction. So the U.S. wouldn't really have a lot of financial power until after World War I would happen. Because Europe would be completely devastated. They were all fighting each other and they blew up everything. So the United States was untouched after that war. So they became the financial capital. Um, so England was just like sitting at the top, just like up here watching everything. Hey, England. Yeah. So with that comes the fact that London was the financial capital of the world. And with that, a very large, impoverished population existed below the very small population of rich people. Ugh. As per usual. Yep. You know, that's you know, a trend in all of history. Basically, it's so well yep. divvied up, isn't it? It's so such well. An, it's such an it's equal a very even line. Yeah, it's like everyone has enough to live on, you mm-hmm. know? Like, it's cool. Everyone's great. Everyone's totally fine. Anyway, (laughs) I'm not mad about it at all. So the United States would have a similar situation in the um, early 1900s. But at this point, everyone was immigrating to Britain. So there was a huge, massive immigration to Britain. And if anybody's seen Britain, it's an island and it's not that big. (laughs) So you can just imagine the amount of people who are crowding into the streets Um, It increased so much and disease was everywhere. In addition, crime became a huge issue and the police were like really poorly funded. It was so sad, (laughs) the situation here. Um, So the police would only carry around batons. So their famous little sticks that they would carry around. (laughs) If anyone's seen an actual like police guy from Britain, they always have a stick. (laughs) Like a little black baton. They have those now, too. (laughs) I know. (laughs) They're tradition, you know? And then they only carried around a single-shot muzzle pistol. So they didn't have a lot of protection. Just not a good time. Um, The Crown, Queen Victoria, would leave the public to decide how to deal with criminals. So public hangings and torture were a really popular solution. However, that did not. I know, right? (laughs) It's like... This is great. This is working. It didn't work, guys. It didn't work. The death penalty is not cool. Um, And it wouldn't deter any sort of criminal activity whatsoever. So this country just didn't have a system in place to be able to deal with all of the crime. And because of this, a lot of murders would go unpunished, unsolved, making it really easy to get away with murder. And 
because of that, death became a huge part of Victorian society. So if anyone is familiar with the spiritualist movement at this time period, this is why. There was so much death happening everywhere and nobody knew how to fix it. And medical professionals were experimenting with a whole bunch of weird stuff. But yeah, so we have an obsession with death from the Victorians. And it's just a lot. So in addition to that, literacy was apparently up in London. So more people were reading newspapers. And that meant that the more murders that were reported on, the more obsessed they became with them. And then in addition to that, after Prince Albert was killed, not so I think he died. I don't even know. I don't even know when Prince Albert died. That's okay. We don't need to know that. Yeah. He was alive during the Ripper. (laughs) He was alive during the murder, um, the murders that took place. Mm Mm-hmm. The Jack the Ripper murders because, oh my God, this is so weird. People thought he was a suspect. Like, (laughs) he's one of those outrageous, ridiculous suspects that people have come up with over Uh the years. Prince Albert. Anyway, so after Prince Albert died, Queen Victoria went into a great state of mourning. She wore black all the time. She was totally in love I am with him. Into the Victorians, I know. right the now. The Victorians are I can our relate. friends. <laughs> See, okay, that's what I'm saying. What I think that we're in like the second wave of this spiritualism. <laughs> Probably right now. we're all obsessed with. Writing. I mean, yes, because true crime podcasts are a huge deal. We all love true crime documentaries. Like, oh my god, everyone I talk to are like, oh my god, did you see that? And I was like, of course I've seen that. You know, so I would say we're in the second wave of spiritualism, but all of the vibes that we're feeling here, all of those killer vibes that are happening right now, right? Killer, yeah, killer vibes. vibes. Yeah, yeah, those uh-huh. ones. You know, like our pagan. I do. Um, that's what's happening in in Victorian England. Sweet. So we'd get along with the Victorians, but murder would happen all of the time and would be way less effective. And there's no such thing as DNA, and nothing gets punished. So it's ten million times worse. But again, every ghost story that we know of right now is of a small Victorian woman, and there's a reason for that. They're all dead. (laughs) They're they're all dead. (laughs) Sorry to say it. Anyway, so, yeah, so the East End was the poor district in London, and about, and this is insane, about 900,000 people lived in Whitechapel, and Whitechapel is, like, puny. It's so small. So if we take Denver and, like, cut it down to like maybe 50 blocks of space, that's Whitechapel. Wow. And 90, 900,000, sorry, 90,000, 900,000 people. That's so lived many. 900,000? 900,000 people. What? Yep, almost a million. Yeah. That's too many. That's too many people, you guys. It smelled really bad. It's really terrible. But the cool thing is, is that we have the advent of photography. So you can look at all of these pictures of. Whitechapel during this period of time. So I highly recommend looking up some of those photos. I that was like one of my favorite parts about this was you can see everything. So yeah. <laughs> so with that, we're gonna end part one and then I swear we're gonna talk about murder. I just had to dive into the history of this. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, tune into part two and we'll talk more about Jack the Ripper. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Bye. Bye.